it's time for another exciting action-packed episode of Tripod. And with me, as always, is Court. No, Courtney is not here. <laughs> it is not Courtney. It is not Courtney. It is Brittany. Hi, Brittany. Hey, your resident hope dealer in the yes, building. In the house. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know or those who have been listening to our past few podcasts, Courtney has uh, not been on the podcast because... We have the pleasant problem of having so much business. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a good problem to have, uh, but it does mean that she hasn't been available and she knows how sad and lonely I've been <laughs> without <laughs> her on this podcast. She said, don't worry, I'm going to send you my hope dealer. So, <laughs> hope dealer, tell us who you are. I am here. My name is Brittany King. I am the people and talent manager here at Proactive Talent. All that means is that I create amazing experiences for our internal tribe. And that means coming to hang out with you, Jim. Woohoo! And some of our longtime listeners may remember that you were on our podcast uh, way back when. I think some of our yes. other podcasts you're on. The Mom so, Boss that's podcast. Right. Mom, Mom <laughs> Boss. I love that name. I love that name. So who do we have uh, coming up uh, today? I sent have? it to you, Jim. I just sent it to you via email. I okay, did. hold on. Ah, yes, there it is. And there's, also, there's also an email from, from Courtney that says, here it is, Jim, although Brittany probably sent it. Uh, I know how you are. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney's the best. She knows She knows. Me, even she when knows. she's not here. Okay. <laughs> she knows. So, uh, this is Greg's bio. Uh, give my NPR voice. <clears throat> yes. Greg Fontas has over 10 years worth of knowledge and experience challenging and empowering others to be inclusively excellent. As a sought after diversity, equity, and inclusion, strategist, trainer, thought leader, and motivator, he has made it a mission to inspire and impact others to be positive agents of social change in order to create environments where all people matter and belong regardless of identity. Greg demonstrates exceptional communication skills due to an extensive public speaking and presentation experience to all age demographics, ethnicities, and professional levels. His ability to build trusting relationships, enthuse, and strategize towards practical business solutions and life applications has proven to be an invaluable asset to both organizations and people. Greg's working style is energetic, anecdotal, Learner-focused, conscientious, social justice-oriented, and memorable as he desires to not just help others improve their knowledge levels, but to also exude confidence in their willingness and ability to apply what they've learned. He is the CEO and principal consultant of the Fontas Experience LLC, a diversity and inclusion firm which focuses on growing leaders and empowering teams and organizations of all sizes to work towards becoming inclusively excellent. Greg holds graduate degrees from the University of South Florida in curriculum and instruction and from Vanderbilt University in Divinity. He also holds DEI certifications as a Cook Ross Unconscious Bias Trainer, a Green Dots Bystander Intervention Trainer, and a National Coalition Building Institute Trainer. As someone dedicated to the work of inclusion, equity, justice, and advocacy, Greg has accepted as his personal call to action the words of civil rights leader, Reverend James Lawson, who stated, we are citizens of a country that does not yet exist. It is our duty to usher that country into existence. Dun, dun, dun. And that was his short bio. 
Because he's done so much. He's <laughs> done all the things. It's going to be a good one. Strap yourselves in, dear listeners. Uh, and you will hear what our uh, guest has to say right after this important message. Listening to Tribe Pod, a podcast series of interviews of interest to the HR community. It is hosted by Courtney Lane, produced by Jim Stroud, sponsored by Proactive Talent, and enjoyed by you. Today's episode begins right after this. Oh, and wait, one second. What are you going to say, Brittany? Yeah, so I think this is super important to note here. Greg just joined our tribe as the lead consultant of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We are better Woo-hoo! because he's here. Oh, so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let the church say amen. And now back <laughs> to this important message. On-demand recruiting is an hourly service that we offer where our recruiters work as an extension of your business, helping to fill your positions by finding top talent. So on-demand recruiting is there to address issues in hiring when a company is experiencing a lot of growth, when they're having some seasonality changes where they may um, temporarily need to expand their recruiting team. You maybe have a new line of business or a space where you're expanding your business and you need to bring in specialty expertise to help fill those niche roles that your internal team may not yet be ramped up on. Proactive Talent's on-demand recruiting solution is uh, quite different from um, a lot of the other models that you're going to see in the, in the workplace. Whereas you're going to pay a contingency recruiting firm, typically on average around 20%, sometimes up to 30% of the first year salary of the person that you hire. And in that same period of time, you'll spend less than a quarter of that with Proactive Talent's managed on-demand For more information on Proactive Talent, visit them online at proactivetalent.com or click the link in the podcast description. Today, I'm joined by Greg Fontes, Lead Consultant, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Proactive Talent. Greg brings to us over 10 years of knowledge and experience challenging and empowering others to be inclusively excellent. Greg comes to us from Postmates, where he was the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Welcome, Greg. So happy you're here today. Glad to be here, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me today. Yes, absolutely. It is an honor and a joy. Um, Greg is our newest tribe member, so we're super excited about that. Yeah, yeah. it's it's. A, I'm excited, too. It's, I'm excited, too, just to be a part of the tribe now. Awesome. So I'd like you to start things off for us, Greg, by telling us a little bit more about your background. We want to learn who you are, um, kind of your history, how you got into diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'd love to hear that. Sure, sure, man. Great question. I think for me, my story, my journey into diversity really is tied into my upbringing. And so I'm originally from Florida, uh, Miami, Florida, to be exact, the greatest city um, on this side of heaven. Come on now. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was born and raised there. I was born and raised there. And if you've ever been to Miami, you know that it is a place of culture. It's a place of community and celebration. We have festivals for everything. There's so much different types of food, et cetera, et cetera. And so for me, growing up in that environment, it really gave me a framing of understanding the importance of celebrating cultures 
it gave mm -hmm. me an importance of celebrating community as well as difference. But in complement to that, I'm also a part of the Haitian American community. And so mm -hmm. I'm the only person in my immediate family to be born in the States. And so what that did for me, having to see my immediate family, extended family, kind of go through the citizenship challenges of this country and go through those red tapes and all that stuff, for me, it gave me an understanding of equity being important, right? Equality being an important thing that we ought to seek after um, and what have you. So for me, those two framings of just the celebration of community, as well as that pursuit of equality, that shaped my framing as a young kid, you know, growing up in Miami. And so I carried that throughout my undergraduate, graduate experiences. I carried it throughout my professional career. Um, and that's why I do this work of diversity and inclusion. I've done it within the higher ed field, um, working at various institutions. I've done it in the tech space, working at Postmates, but I also have done it in my own practice, you know, prior to my arrival to Proactive. You know, I have my own DNI consulting and training business where I really help organizations and teams really seek to be inclusively excellent in all that they do as it relates to diversity and inclusion. So for me, my passion for why I do this work stemmed from my upbringing. It stemmed from my experiences and me always holding on to those value, values um, since, since I grew up. You know, one of our goals here at Tripod is to speak to, you know, TA leaders up and coming, existing people who are practitioners in the TA space. But at the very same time, you know, I feel like it's important for people to understand, uh, especially, especially those who are early in their career, how does one start in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion? So I'd love to hear about your early days. What was perhaps your first role? What were you doing? How did you get your foot in the door to really do that? Um, and what, it, what does it take to be a long-term successful DNI consultant. Oh man, you you're just hitting it right out the gate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so for me, it, it was it was an interesting beginning for me as it relates to diversity and inclusion from a professional lens. Okay. Um, and so for me, um, I went to graduate school at the University of South Florida, where I studied curriculum and, and instruction uh, with a concentration on college student development, college student affairs. And so for me, I had a, this aspiration to really just be in higher education, focusing on student development. While I was in graduate school, um, I had ended up taking a diversity course um, that was part of our curriculum. And, and just the way that it was set up, the way that it was framed really was attractive for me. And so I grew an affinity to do this work more on the professional side. I started, you know, doing conference presentations really on the circuit and on the market in that capacity, but never being in a official DNI role. When I started my professional career in higher education, I actually started in residential education, you know, sort of housing and overseeing dorms and residence halls, those types of things. While I was there, I was part of the, you know, the student RA selection um, training committee, training committee. Mm -hmm. And so while I was on that committee, you know, the diversity and inclusion work that we did was not really that great. And so for me, I was very disappointed at that, being that I just went through this graduate experience. I had this passion for this work. It was part of my framing growing up. And so for us to not really do a great training like that for our students, you know, frustrated me. So what I ended up doing was investing into myself. I, I used some of our professional development funds to, to go to a diversity and inclusion institute 
to become a certified diversity and inclusion trainer. And so I started my career as a trainer in the field of diversity and inclusion. And so even though I was in one particular role, I started doing a lot of diversity and inclusion trainings on that campus, faculty, staff, students. And I was probably spending more than 50% of my workload doing these trainings all across campus for various populations. It was, it was a hot thing going on at that time. And then after a couple of years, I transitioned into an official role after we, we went through a reorganization as an institution and started leading a diversity and inclusion office. And so that's how I really started into this field. Um, many may fall into the field in a similar path of wanting to become, you know, get the skill sets and go through the trainings and what have you. But others just fall into this work because it's a passion. Right. I think if you think about many organizations that I've worked with, you know, a lot of people who are, you know, employee resource group leaders or maybe program managers or directors, a lot of them were in a different function. And because of their affinity towards seeing equitable solutions and practices within organizations, they made that transition. And so there's many ways that one can fall into this field. For me, that was just my trajectory of having the affinity and then investing in myself. Got it. And I asked that. That was a bit of a loaded question by mm -hmm. design. So, so your alma mater, University of South Florida, is right now offering, you know, a diversity, equity, and inclusion training certificate program. And there are tens mm -hmm. of thousands of people all around the world. But I imagine uh, who are participating in that. But I imagine that there are TA leaders who are listening, who are a part of that latter group, who just became the DNI expert, and they're like, where does one go from here? <laughs> What does one do having just kind of inherited that? But I also think we're at a place in society where people want to know what are what are companies doing to make sure that the playing field is equitable? One of my favorite quotes is talent is universal, opportunity is not. And so mm -hmm. when you think about when you think about that, what do you say to perhaps a TA leader who is in a place where they have in, inherited the responsibility to lead the DNI function? or they just really want to understand what is the way forward? Mm -hmm. Heavy question. And I think that is a question that many are, we're at that crossroad right now, mm -hmm. um, in particular to the last year, uh, mm -hmm. since the, the Breonna Taylor incident, the George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, all of that has really sparked a different uh, uh, energy around DNI, right? And mm -hmm. to where there's a lot more of an attention towards the, this type of work. And so I think, you know, answering that question of where you go, it's so many ways to, to go about it. But I think the one thing that is consistent across practices and industries is the passion to do this work, right? Mm -hmm. I think that uh, DNI is not necessarily the work of an individual, right? Because many organizations have a tendency to put the work on one person, whereas this work is a work of, 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 of practice, of culture. And so if one has the passion and the desire to see equitable solutions, to see inclusion and belonging at their particular company, that is, in my opinion, the secret sauce, because there's so many ways to do it. You know, if you're needing the help of where do I go, I think getting a network of people uh, of, you know, your own personal tribe, if you will, to to kind of bounce ideas off and, and to generate some energy and, and have thought partners and thought, thought leaders with you along this journey. I think that is critical for me, having those people in my corner um, throughout my career who I can talk to, who I can process with, who I can, you know, learn from their experiences. For me, that was always helpful. 
Um, I would also encourage literature and reading certain books and and articles. Um, I, I think those are some best practices to, 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 to do. And then modeling and looking at what some of those top tier companies are doing as it relates to diversity and inclusion. Um, I think diversity and inclusion, those organizations that are doing it well, it's not solely situated in the TA function. Right. It's also situated in the in the the people operations functions. It's also incorporated in their branding. It's also incorporated in their marketing, in their product. It's also incorporated and it's a value that's publicly named by that company. Mm -hmm. So I think that if one's going to do that, you got to get some key players across the organization to bring in in order to do this work holistically and really model what inclusion is. Inclusion doesn't mean one section, one function of an organization is doing Doing this work. Inclusion means that every party is going to be a part. Everyone has a piece of the pie. Everyone is going to proactively think about this work on a day to day basis, not in a reactionary way, right? We're not mm -hmm. going to think about this when, you know, another incident happens in our country or there's another political unrest situation that's going on, such as the Capitol um, a few months back, at the Capitol a few months back. No. This is a work where we're proactively thinking about it. We're 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 forward thinking about it. That's what makes that this work. So I think it's bigger than just the TA function. It's really bringing in all of those partners, business partners. It's bringing in those key stakeholders across the company. It's bringing in the leadership and making it a value, a staple, a part of the fabric of that company. That's how you really begin to have movement. I love that you called that out because I think you know the most efficient, and I'm not a DNI practitioner, but the most efficient um, DNI strategy has to be comprehensive robust and that it has to touch all areas of your business. So I, I love that you call that out because you're right. It's valuable to, you know, the global head of TA, but it's also value to the people ops person and, and the and the admin sitting at the front desk. Right. And so I think mm -hmm. I think it's very important. And I'm I'm so happy that you called that out. One of the things that I want to um, ask you as a follow up to that, we, we've talked a little bit about what doesn't work. Right. So mm -hmm. so when someone has, you know, when an organization perhaps has kind of a myopic view that DNI sits mm -hmm. under this function. So mm -hmm. with that in mind, but also understanding that there are organizations across the globe who are not reactionary, who are setting mm -hmm. the standard for how DNI should be practiced. I always say you can't have not you can't, but perhaps you should not make um, decisions in the boardroom without feedback from those in the break room. So what mm -hmm. does the success or what what are what have some of the most successful companies you've seen who have been successful in their DNI initiatives? What have they done? What is their kind of um attitude and their appetite for not being reactionary? Because I think that's kind of the state that we're in, right? Like a lot of people are, let's clean up the mess that has been existing. Um, mm -hmm. and so when we think about that moving forward as a kind of a future scape thing, how does that how does that work in a, in the most successful idealistic way? Yeah, no, great question. For me, what I've seen is that leadership believes that it's a core part of their business practice. So mm -hmm. leadership is not relegating this to a department, uh, a person, a task force, a working group, or whatever have you. Leadership has embraced this task and said, we're taking this on head on. Leadership has said, hey, we're acknowledging the mistakes that we've made but we're also moving forward towards this particular vision. I've seen it work successfully when DNI is not only, it's not only, I think it's part of it, but it's not only about quantitative numbers. It's not only about 
um, you know, the number of people of color you're bringing into your organization or women mm -hmm. or part of the LGBT community, right? It, it's, it's, it's about that. And it's about the experience of those individuals when they get into the organization, because there's oftentimes, or if organizations only focus on those numbers on, Hey, let's make sure that we have our recruiting numbers. We're bringing in, you know, our goal is 50% people of color, quote unquote, diverse people, as they, they put it, or BIPOC, right? We have 50% people of color that are part of your organization. That's all great. But if when they get there, there's no development programs, there's no ERGs, there's no opportunities for advancement. It's not a part of their, their the pay equities. This, the pay scale is not equitable. If that's not in place structurally, those individuals are going to leave. They're going to come, they're going to be a part of your organization, and they're going to transition and go into a better place, a place that's not as toxic as the, that environment. So there has to be one, leadership has to name it. It has to be a core part of the business practice. Um, um, there needs to be structures in place so that when people get into the organization, uh, uh, there's they recognize and realize that the organization invests in them. Um, there needs to be uh, honest conversations, open dialogue that happens, that exists. Um, when incidents happen, uh, it's not performative. It's not a, a predictive response. Rather, it's a someone comes in and, and they recognize that these issues are important. They impact not just the talent, but the person that exists within their organization and they're doing it well. And then one other piece I will add to it is that organizations that are doing it well they're doing it well, not just internally to their organization, but they're actually agents of their community. So mm -hmm. they actually have a community presence, right? Mm -hmm. Because if an incident happens in, you know, if there's a shooting in a particular city where an organization has its headquarters or whatever have you, if that organization does not do anything in its community, then what that organization says is that I'm different than, my, than, the, than the community that I am actually situated in. And what it's saying is it's exerting a, a level of privilege um, and narcissism, and narcissism, um, I would argue, right? So I also believe that organizations that do it well are, are actually engaged in their community They're, because mm -hmm. they recognize that they're agents of the community, mm -hmm. right? Um, consider it this way. If, if an organization were to shut down, right? Let's say, let's say proactive, right? Let's use that as an illustration. If proactive were to- I don't receive to, that. I you don't don't, receive I, that. I know, I'm not saying it. <laughs> I'm not saying that's the case. I'm not saying that's the case. <laughs> but what I am saying is that in the event, right, hypothetically, uh -huh. right, proactive were to shut down, you would know its impact when the mayor of the city would come to, to Will and be like, hey, Will, what can we do to make sure that proactive is still active here in our community? That's mm. how you know your community has an impact. Mm. That's what it means to have a, a level of inclusive excellence, not just internal to your organization and your business practices, but where your surrounding agencies knows that this organization is a is an important staple of our community because they bring value to its community. They're engaged in making sure that the people in our community have access to jobs, have access to resources, um, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. So it's really not just an internally strong, I've seen that organizations, but I've also seen them be engaged in its community. Mm. I love it. I think that um, the, the community piece is so big because as you think about organizations having their employees be the lifeblood of the business, if you're not in the community, there's a gap and there's a bit mm -hmm. of a disjointed uh, policy and process there. But I, 
I wanted to just comment on this too. You mentioned those people who come from diverse backgrounds uh, getting into these organizations and that be driven, being driven from an organizational perspective in terms of success by numbers. But that's that piece of belonging that I feel like we've seen just become this big thing in the DNI space where people are like, yes, we want it to be all of these things diverse, equitable, inclusive, but I also want to feel a sense of belonging. And so to that point, I would like to ask this question because I have noticed this just in my background as a speaker, as a black woman, I'm sitting here talking to you, Greg, with my big Afro puff, right? In, in past experiences, I have had, you know, uh, I have been given direction to make my hair professional. And I'm like, well, this is just how it grows out of my scalp. I mean, <laughs> you know, but but to that point, I am not a DNI expert. And I have found that um, I am being reached out to as someone who is a black woman, who also, you know, has gone through other things to serve as a DNI practitioner. And I want to kind of talk through that piece because I think there's there's so much more about DNI than just black, white, whatever. There, there's so much more than that. Um, but at the very same time, well, I think there do need to be ongoing conversations. I wonder how we handle this issue where there there are people who are of color or disabled or whatever, and they are they are suddenly been given this this you know, teach us DNI, not fully understanding it themselves. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm challenged by that. I, I'm I'm very challenged by that because organizations or individuals that have the tendency, and and this is something that happens far too common, right? Mm -hmm. Hey. Brittany, as a black woman, I'm trying to learn this thing. Can you teach me? Um, why? Why? Why are you doing that? I, I understand that. Sure, they may be, and I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for this moment, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Sure, they may be very good-willed, good-hearted, and say, "I'm really just trying to learn." Right. But, but let me let me be clear with when I say this. Brittany is not the only black woman that exists. Brittany is not mm -hmm. the first black woman to come around mm -hmm. the block. Mm -hmm. There have been black women since the beginning of time. There have mm -hmm. been people with, of, with disabilities from the beginning of time. Same with mm -hmm. the LGBT community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Going to them and saying, hey, can you teach me? What it does is it now puts the onus of that community on that person and it, it, it objectifies them to now have to be the spokesperson for a community. Mm -hmm. And that is actually antithetical to the notion of diversity. Right. Because even within the black community, right, we talk about this umbrella term, the black experience. There is so yeah. many different experiences within the black right. experience. And right. so Greg's black experience is going to look totally different than Britney's black experience, which is going to mm -hmm. look totally different from the next person's black experience. So for an individual to come to say to Britney and say, hey, Britney, tell me about the, the, the heartaches in the black experience. Britney's not qualified to do that. She's not. She's not. Greg is not qualified to do that. So what needs to happen is individuals need to stop. And what that does is it put the burden back on the people, a person of color, and it, it absolves oneself from the responsibility to learn and do some do some soul searching and do some mm -hmm. self, uh, uh, you know, looking for things themselves. So for, for individuals to do that, it's actually an insult because now what you're saying is, you're trying to get easy access. You're trying to find the e easy method, to, uh, the easy solution to a complex problem. Whereas what you need to do is 
do some homework on your on your own. You need mm -hmm. to do some study. You need to read some books. You need to watch some YouTube clips. You need to do whatever you got to do because that's what's important. Because in order for there to be breakthrough, right? In order for there to be breakthrough and, and true uh, systems that are broken for, for a sustainable period of time and systems that are created and constructed, constructed that are healthy and equitable, it's not going to become, it's not going to be solely on the people who are historically, who have historically been oppressed that's going to make that movement. Mm -hmm. It's going to be those who are of privilege of saying, I need to give up my privilege. I need to give up my seat at the table so that there can be more voices at the table, so that there can be more solutions that are had. So I think that, you know, when you, when you talk about, you know, people coming up to you and asking you for help, that irks me. That, that really <laughs> irks me because it's not your it's not your job as a person of color to sit there and be victimized because of the color of your skin or be victimized because of the particularity identity that you have. It's not fair for you to be victimized and then be the teacher for someone else. Why right. why are we the ones to be why are those that are historically um, underrepresented have to be the ones to teach the ones that have been historically the oppressors? It right. doesn't work that way. You know, I think about that um, because I recognize that I'm not a DNI practitioner. That's not lost on me. I am a black woman, and that's that. And I've had my experiences, but again, as you called out, they're my experiences. But I liken this to being someone who was born quote able-bodied, someone who was born able-bodied in a world that's made for able-bodied people, and then mm -hmm. going through my own health issues and having to step back and say, "Oh my gosh." This world was built for people who are able-bodied. So even in my own experience, outside of being a Black woman, having to, for me, it took a bit of my own realization and for me to switch from someone who has been able-bodied all my life to have some deficits and deficiencies to understand the blinders that I had on. But at the very same time, I do think if we are all going to get to a place, and I like to call this restorative justice, Whereas a whole, as a nation, as a people, we come together and we do this, we do um, what is best for the common good of us all. The burden lies on each of us to do our own work. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really grateful that you, you commented on that. I wanted to get your thoughts, though, on what you think about um, restorative justice in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'll just tell you what I what I mean there. One of the things I want to call out though is that, you know, at Proactive Talent, our most visited part of our website is our diversity statement, which is crazy to me because mm -hmm. we are an employer brand and recruiting firm, but people want to know like, hey, do you guys talk what, you, what you're trying to train everybody else to be? So when we think about restorative justice, I actually learned this from my child when she was at a school where how do we restore people back into, quote, the fold so that we are all better together? Um, do you think we are at a place in history and in time that we are really ready for that? Mm. That's heavy. That's heavy. <laughs> Um, that's heavy. And my response would be no, no. And I don't want it to be no. And, 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 and I say, no, not that everyone isn't ready, but I'm, I'm answering this question from the, the sense of the collective society. And my mm -hmm. answer would be, no, we're not ready for that. Those conversations to happen because we've not yet acknowledged where we are wrong. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that is until we can acknowledge our fault, when we can acknowledge the things that we failed to do and own up to it and not give any excuses or not own it or not acknowledge our, our wrong wrought with guilt and shame until we can acknowledge and say, hey, we are at fault for this. Until we do that, if we do not do that, restorative justice won't happen. Mm-hmm. It can't happen. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to, we're not at that place because, I mean, you've seen it in our election and the divisiveness that our country sits in. You saw it with the Capitol riots and, and just the, the various thoughts that do exist. You see it in shooting and different um, perspectives around you know, law enforcement, you see it in our housing community and redlining and all of those things. You see it all across the board. You see it in in uh, just the other day, you know, um, forget which day it was, but it was it was um, uh, Women's Pay Equality Day, um, forgive me mm-hmm. the phrase of it. And, okay, and women are still are still women are still not paid the same as their male counterparts. Mm-hmm. And no one we're 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 talking about it. But those that are in power, who are who have the power to make decisions and to change the system for what it is, are not acknowledging that it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And until we get to that point to where we acknowledge it, we're not going to have restorative justice in its purest form. Sure, mm-hmm. we may have it from a, uh, a interpersonal uh, way, from one-to-one interactions. We may have it from particular organizations and companies that say it. But as a collective, oh, no. We're not ready for it. We're not. Mm. We're not ready sad, it grieves me to say that. It grieves right. me to say that. I think we're getting a deeper level of awareness that we're not ready. And perhaps that will be the impetus. I hope that will be the impetus for us moving forward. Um, I have so enjoyed this conversation. Greg, I have this problem where when you and I start talking, I just want to keep talking. I don't know <laughs> if it's your preacher voice. I don't know if it's your, I don't know what it is, but I have thoroughly enjoyed this. And before I tell our listeners where they can connect with you online, um, get engaged with us, um, I, I have a question for you mm-hmm. about diversity, equity, and inclusion as we wrap this up. Sure. If you had the world's attention for 30 seconds to speak to them about diversity, equity, and inclusion, what would you say? The world's attention for 30 seconds. The world's attention. I would share with them a quote that I learned and heard from the Reverend James Lawson. And if you don't know who James Lawson is, he is an architect of the civil rights movement, an architect of the student protest, the nonviolent student protest back in the civil rights era. I sat in on a message he was sharing at the at Alex Haley Farm just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And as he was sharing his message, he shared this particular word, phrase, sentence that has stuck with me for the last almost four or five years. He simply said that we are citizens of a country that does not yet exist. It is our duty to usher that country into existence. And so if I had those 30 seconds, I would share the fact that we all have a responsibility. We all claim to be citizens of this country that promotes life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, equality for everyone, the American dream. That's what we promote. That's our mantra. That's our banner. And if we're truly going to live in that reality, it is our responsibility as the citizens, as the stakeholders of this country to usher those principles and values into existence. That's what I would share for those 30 seconds if I had the world's attention. What a phenomenal answer. 
Thank you so much, Greg. I would tell anyone listening, if you're a TA leader or not, if you're someone interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion, please reach out to us at Proactive Talent. We are not only your resource for employer branding and recruiting, we are also in, in that, uh, built into that is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you would have the opportunity to work directly with Greg on some of these initiatives. As you have just heard, he's an expert in this field. And uh, he he... He walks the talk. So I would I would like to close, Greg, by giving you the opportunity. If you have any um, last comments you want our audience to wake up to take away from this conversation, um, and then just let them know how they can contact you or get in touch with you, where they can find you online. Yeah, you know, I think for me, you know, I, from what I just mentioned, I think everyone has a responsibility, whether you're an expert or not, whether you are in the field of DEI or talent acquisition or whatever your field may be. Uh, this work is not a work for a person, it's the work for a community to take its responsibility and to make positive change within their spheres of influence. So I think my, my last parting words to everyone is, hey, you can do this. You have the ability to do that. Um, if you're aware, if you lead with, with a good heart, with that lens of cultural awareness, um, all will be made well. Um, so I would encourage you to do what you do, uh, do it and Play your part and play your role within your respective area. Awesome. Um, if you want to connect with me, uh, there's multiple ways to do so. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Greg Fontes, that's G-R-E-G, last name F-O-N-T-U-S. You can connect with me on all social media platforms. I'm on there, greg.fontes. Uh, you can also shoot me an email at greg at proactivetalent.com um, or greg at gregfontes.com all those platforms and all those um, vehicles you can get in contact with. Me. This is the world's work. Thank you, Greg. Thank you all, everyone who's listening. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. Make it a great day. Bye-bye. Ooh, that was a good in there. <laughs> Yes, wasn't it? Should he I, is phenomenal. I, I was wondering, should I pass the collection plate? Because he was <laughs> uh, he was preaching a sermon there. He was preaching. <laughs> oh, he was preaching. Oh. Those who have an ear, let them hear. Let them hear. Let them let them all come. What was <laughs> those are my thirsty? What was your uh, favorite part of, of it all? I really loved when Greg talked about the community piece. That really resonated with me, Jim, when he said it is important. This is not just a here in our company. You have to go out into the world and do this work. That by far was my was my favorite part. Yeah, that's when I thought he was preaching. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know that. Oh. I'm curious, though, as to what the listeners think. Dear listener, uh, if you would send us your comments, you can reach us at tripod. That's T-R-I-B-E-P-O-D at proactivetalent.com because we would like to hear your comments on this and your comments on diversity, equity, and inclusion in general. Uh, we're very curious to hear from you. That being said, uh, any parting comments there, Brittany? My parting comments would be, this is the world's work. Let's do it together. Thanks for listening. Well, there you go. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>